everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Two Drunk Fans. We hope you've been surviving the winter. Gab, what are you drinking? Oh, uh, I have three beverages at my disposal. One is a dirty chai. The other is a Coca-Cola. And I also have water. What are you enjoying? A water. H2O. <laughs> See, this is what happens when I'm on the road for work and we record from my car. Is I have all the beverages. I also have a lime seltzer. So you should put a little uh, vodka in there. I don't have any vodka. Why don't? How do you not have? Oh vodka? wait, I do have vodka in the freezer. I'm like, how do you not have vodka? I'm gonna take that as a compliment. <laughs> we uh, we've gotten enough hate mail recently about the fact that we're not drinking anymore on our I episodes know. that one of us should be drinking. We, picked we a- should commit to that. One of us drinks per episode. I was was it an unsustainable premise? Because I mean, there's a period where I was, you know, drinking a lot less for health reasons, and now I'm still drinking a lot less, but just because I'm tired and old. <laughs> <laughs> it's like two drunk fans was awesome in our early thirties. I'm in my early 30s. Yeah. You're still in your early 30s. Am I was I? like, wait, no, we're both not in our early 30s. Um, but yeah, I mean, so here's the thing is like, I could go to the airport bar and order a $14 drink. I just don't really want to order a $14 drink. Well, you know what? Hold that thought. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a 10 a.m. phone call, but whatever. Hey, Okay, I'm back. So, what are you drinking? Soju, of course. <laughs> Soju? You didn't even go get the vodka and the seltzer, huh? No. Soju's easy. Uh, we found a liquor store in the Korean part of town that sells it in six packs. <laughs> so. I lo- that was a good sound effect. Glug, 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 glug. It's this yep. nice microphone as well. It's- yeah, you have a very nice setup now. All right. So now we've got one fan who has had a wee nip, and it's not going to do anything. I had a big dinner. <laughs> a wee nip. I had a really wee nippy fan. I had a very Ooh, healthy that's dinner a too. Podcast right there. I had some some tilapia. I just slather with spices and fry it up real quick, and you know, oven roasted broccoli and like a little cup of rice with some kimchi on it. That does sound really good. Yeah, I didn't just, overdo it. You on deserve an adult beverage. <laughs> oh boy! Speaking of deserving adult beverages, guess what happened all last week? You got boozy all last week. No, I tried though. I really tried. <laughs> There's one night in particular. It was the night before the draft. I'm pretty sure. Oh God! Uh, we went out. Me and some other soccer writers, we met up. Chicago local had their meetup. They were celebrating because the Katie Johnson news had just broken. There was a Mexican flag being <laughs> waved around in the venue. It was great. I'm really pleased for Katie Johnson. I think she's a she has a potential to be a top ten forward in this league. Maybe not the best forward, but you, you know, think top ten, huh? The potential is there. I don't think you can really. Like, consider what she did for Sky Blue. She did okay. I think she had four goals and some assists for them. Mm-hmm. And, and she didn't play every game, you know. So on a team where she's got some more support in midfield, you know, who knows what she could do. I already told other people I think my prediction for her is I think she could bag ten goals this upcoming season. Ten? Yeah. 10. Double digits. It's a lot of pressure, I know, but uh, if she adjusts well to the Chicago system, and you know, a lot of top internationals are going to be out. So A lot of top internationals will be out. Um, uh, so here's my thing. is, And we, we need to get back to what you did all last week. But how many of the trades, the, the drafts, all that stuff, like we still have three and a half months until the season starts three months until the season starts how many how set in stone do you think rosters are today like how much more activity do you expect is going to happen before mid-april probably quite a bit right i don't want to say how many trades i think there's going to be i'm going to be wildly wrong 
but <laughs> and you know we're gonna have players from the draft who are also gonna opt not to play uh mm-hmm. combined with players from the draft who aren't going to get picked up by their teams right they'll go to camp and or they'll go to preseason and decisions will get made mm-hmm. i guess my point being that i'm not counting my chickens at this point because we still have two or three brand new coaches i think we have three brand new coaches who have three months to still figure out what they want their rosters to look like and we have the wild card that is laura harvey well, the three new coaches, we've got Richie Burke up at the Washington Spirit. I think it was, what, James Clarkson hired at the Houston Dash? Mm-hmm. And then Orlando hired the guy from... Uh, I thought they made it official today, yeah. like they put a ring on it. I kept wanting to call him Mark Burnett for some reason, but that's the guy who runs Survivor. <laughs> <laughs> Can that's you imagine him eliminating easy. players from preseason oh, yeah. by like putting out their tiki torch? Mark Skinner. Oh my god mark skinner yeah the only one of the new hires who actually has top level women's coaching experience or how about uh girls top coaching girls oh experience. yeah of course don't 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 uh promote them to women <laughs> boy that was promote? a hell of a quote promote that's that's a bad way of saying that i don't know i i don't even have a way of like throwing snark at him like that was just <laughs> A horrible, horrible thing to say. You know, when I um was growing up, my mom pulled me aside. She gave me the talk and she pinned new rank medals onto my chest and was like, you know, I'm promoting you to woman today. Let's go bra shopping. <laughs> I'm promoting you to woman today. Yeah. You get relegated to girl every once in a while. Oh, my God. Oh my God. What if you don't like pay your bills or get like your yearly breast exam you get relegated back down to girl until you, you can get prove... relegated to girl unless you accept all the responsibilities of woman um, wow oh my god it's so bad so bad yeah so at least I, like like i was reading the quote his his quote there and i i was just expecting him to say something about female females like the word female should have been in that at some point and that would have just been the trifecta yeah the way that the ferengi say female on star trek (laughs) yes just like that (laughs) you definitely got that reference (laughs) totally totally got that reference (laughs) just as little some of these franchises have gone for some players who are aggressive and brutish and a little less inclined to play football because it's a results oriented business brutish irrespective of the fact i am now working with girls we are going to play the same way i feel like he's implying there's some difference that he's supposed to use when he's coaching men and women tactically like maybe mentally and emotionally just because of the you know sociocultural conditioning that goes along with gender roles at least in the united states it can affect the way that you coach men versus women but the quote really just rubs me the wrong way. It rubs everyone the wrong way. Like I don't see how you read that quote and you go, "Oh, cool! I'm really, I'm really excited for this this hire." And then the whole thing with he's jumping from high school to the pro yeah. level. I mean, yeah. he's been in the game a while, but can you imagine a woman getting promoted from high school coach to pro men's coach? I would love love to imagine that world (laughs) (laughs) that's that's a world i would love to subscribe to yeah and then you know the thing where the high schooler he coached was where one of the new owner's daughter went to high school so it's not a great look there's zero nepotism happening it's not a great zero oh god the washington spirit are just i didn't think there was going to be much that could pull attention away from the you know, constant furts coming out of sky blue, but here we are. <laughs> it's that whole mid-Atlantic region right there. This, like, hotbed for women's soccer that's just sideways. Northeastern di- I- dysfunction. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we could go all the way up to Northeastern. <laughs> the Northeastern dysfunction is very accurate. 
the the thing is is for me is where are qualified female coaches female coaches why am i saying female coaches now is female coaches right yeah it's fine i think it's fine oh i feel like oddly sensitive to that but then i'm like it's because of the way men have said female coaches right like they haven't used it as a neutral adjective they've used it as a pejorative right so where are the qualified coaches who are female female god why why can't i just say where are the qualified female coaches you could well i know but like that feels weird coming out of my mouth conditioning man a lot of them were at usc so Leslie Gallimore was on a panel where they were talking about, you know, the development of the women's game. And some old dude from Florida got up and was like, where are the, you know, female coaches who want to learn and improve? I'm trying to, you know, hire them, but I can't find them. And I tweeted about it. But this woman in the front, she literally sighed so loud. Like Leslie Gallimore heard her from the stage and kind of just gestured to her and was like, yeah, you clearly have feelings about this. And the woman got up, looks at the dude and goes, sir, and like just flails her arms out. Like she just gestured like, what the fuck am I? You know, you're literally sitting in a room about the future women's soccer with a bunch of female coaches and you're sitting like daring to stand up there and be like, where are they? Where are they? I can't find them. I think I'm, you know, I pretend to be an ally, but then uh, my networks are such that they, you know, exclude qualified female candidates. Right. I mean, the thing that that this is just so, this is such a reflection of our society in that we want to have this narrative where everybody's given opportunity, everyone is given equal opportunity, and most everyone's an ally and wants to grow uh, the diversity within the organizations and everything like that, but nobody's willing to put in the work. Everybody in a leadership role should be advocating for more female coaches and should be going out and helping players get their coaching licenses. And it's going to take a few years, but it's, it's one of those things like, look what, who who was the driver behind that program where uh, the U.S. soccer players, like former U.S. soccer players, were getting their licenses? Was that U.S. soccer? I don't think U.S. soccer was the primary driver behind that. There was some organization. Like, there had to have been some organization. And who knows? It may be, maybe it was the players' union. I think it was the – a lot of it was coordinated by the lawyers who helped with the players' union. So the one hire that kind of made me optimistic is that I think Houston also hired Monica Gonzalez as an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for all that Jim Gabara didn't do great at Washington, he did have women on his coaching staff. Mm-hmm. And then they post, you know, pictures of coaching staffs from USC and you look at like North Carolina I think someone accurately pointed out they have more bald men on their coaching staff than there are women coaching in the entire league like Mm -hmm. it was just a row of white men and then you know we asked Amanda Duffy about diversity candidates and possibly the NWSL version of a Rooney rule where when you search for certain level positions you have to include you know a certain I don't know, percentage or number of diverse candidates. And she said, you know, they do have something in place for the high level positions that way, but, and said that so far, I think no team has been in violation of those. Um, I don't think that rule has been established the whole time the league has existed though. So for as long as the rule has existed, Duffy says there hasn't been a violation of it. Although it's hard to see how. Right. It's extremely frustrating. Like that nobody's checking in on that. Like nobody, I, I highly doubt that any team has actually adhered to that rule outright. It's just looking at the results. You think, really? You, you guys have a rule requiring you to search for diverse candidates and it just naturally turned out this way? I mean, well, maybe maybe they have a rule to natural to search for them. Well, yeah, but there's no rule to hire them. No, but just like you feel like by the percentages, looking at 
coaches and assistant coaches and general managers and technical directors, it should be a little more balanced than it is just by the percentages. Even though the percentages are still awfully skewed in favor of men in terms of coaching. But, you know, Mm -hmm. as USC once again showed, women are out there trying to do the work. Trying. Something else happened at USC, which was fairly big. The draft. I was like, uh uh-oh, what what happened? What happened now? Um, What happened? Yeah, uh, the draft. So, nine teams, four rounds, 36 picks. It wasn't the most dazzling draft class, although I've already picked out some kids who are like, okay, I I hope you have a good season. Like, already, you're my favorite. I really hope Jordan DiBiase does well for Washington. It kind of conflicts with my desire to see Richie Burke, like, hoist on his own petard, where he's like, yeah, I'm going to come in here. I'm a badass coach. And then he just completely gets outcoached every game left and right. But yeah, I still want to see DiBiase do well. I really liked her in college. Um, a player who I wasn't really aware of before the draft, but then, you know, I was watching college highlights in order to kind of get familiar with them, is Lauren Millier from Colorado College. She's going to the Courage, and she's definitely Paul Riley's type of player because she said underdog like seven times in her interview. She said, the work never stops, am I right? And you know, just talked about wanting to be a difference maker. You look at her highlights and playing in Colorado College, I think they're in the Mountain West Conference. That conference could not handle her. It was unfair of her to play in that conference. She should have been playing for a bigger school and a much tougher conference, but I think the consensus might have been she kind of comes from small town nowhere, so she really didn't have (laughs) the connections or the pedigree to get into a big D1 school. What do you think so, about so those 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 were your two? There's a couple of other kids in there who I'm kind of low key. I mean, I'm rooting for all the rookies actually, because oh god, it was so rough because I was trying to I was putting together a piece for the Athletic about you know players on draft day, and Sky Blue had tons of picks, and I really wanted to ask those kids, you know, you've heard Sky Blue's reputation. How does it feel knowing? You know, you got picked in the draft, but for Sky Blue. Yeah. Like everything you wanted in the worst possible way. But I couldn't ask them that because it's the best day of their lives, right? The best day of their young professional lives. They should get to have one day where they can be happy and not think about all the logistics of that and just be like, I got drafted. Right? Call their parents and be like, Mom, Dad, I'm going to be a pro or whatever and not have my angry little badger face going, yeah, but the team that drafted you sucks big time. What do you think about that? <laughs> you know? what? But they're, they're thinking it. They might be. One of them did bring up, you know, kind of tangentially, um, it was Paige Monahan, I think, out of Butler. She got drafted number 10 overall. And she did talk about, you know, obviously it's rebuilding year. She talked about Coach Reddy wanting to turn the team around. So it's not like she, the players are unaware. Mm-hmm. but what are they going to say anyway, though? Like, oh, this really sucks that I got drafted to Sky Blue. I wish that I just hadn't put my name in. Especially the fourth-round picks. I'm sure they're just happy to be there. You know, you're getting picked oh, absolutely. 28, 29, 34 in the draft. Although, the round wonders... Wait. The first rounders... Um, <laughs> the round wonders... Although the first rounder, so that's Haley Mace and Julia Ashley, we all saw it, right? Ashley straight up told media as soon as she came backstage, I don't know if I'm going to play for Sky Blue, might not. Um, And then Haley Mace, Equalizer, reported they had a source that said she's straight, I'm not going to report to Sky Blue. Yeah. That's both their first rounders. Boy, like, what do you think of the possibility that there is a team in this league that might be actively poisoning the player pool against the league. Where pe- I, I don't know if I would go that far okay. um, to say that they're actively poisoning the player pool because at the end of the day, nine teams at 23, 24 players each is a very big player pool. Um, and we're only really seeing this impact the fallout from last year impacting a handful of players today. 
Um, I think that Sky Blue needs to go through a major overhaul. If it doesn't happen this year, if it doesn't happen by day one, that's on every single owner. It's not on Amanda Duffy. I mean, she shares some of the responsibility, but I put more of the responsibility on all of the ownership for not raising the league minimum standards across the board. Um, it's year seven. They should no longer be playing at Rutgers. They should be playing someplace that has the facilities. And if it's like Chicago, go rent a stadium. Rent a legitimate stadium. Um, and it, there, there are just too many things that the NWSL ownership group has been okay with up until now. And I think that it's not poisoning the player pool as much as it's bringing to light that league minimums need to change. I think I mean poisoning the pool as in it might be turning away young players who are like, I'd rather not play at all if it means I have to go to Sky Blue. But I, I, I don't know. I, that, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that it's that, that strong because once again, like we said, outside of the first round even, I think I'll, some of the players who got drafted for Sky Blue were probably just like, yeah, I'm just happy to be here. I'm so glad I got taken by any pro team. I just want to play soccer, even if it is for $16,000 well, a year that, at, a, at a no-shower facility. Right, right, right. Well, yeah, for $16,000 for, you know, six to eight months. I think for me, it's also the NWSL talent. Uh, the, the talent being drawn to NWSL is so strong right now. Mm -hmm. It's still an elite league. Um, it's still a situation where... The, this league is attracting international talent, some of the best players in the world. And it's, it's not necessarily like, and it's not that the W League is not, but they, it's a different skill level. You know, you're watching a different, a different than what you see in the NWSL. So um, at Sky Blue is a blemish on the league, but to me, it, it just means that the standards need to increase and the league needs to grow up and not be okay with this Bush League shit that Sky Blue's been pulling. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that I definitely think the point of us always dragging attention back to how shoddily Sky Blue seems to be run is not to just bag on a bad team that's being badly run, but to try and make it better. To bring yeah. some attention to it so that whoever has the power to make it better does. I just don't know because I guess I guess we'll see sometime in February because that was the rough timeline that Tony Novo gave us at the draft when he spoke to reporters. I think I asked him, actually, can you give us a timeline for, you know, any any concrete improvements or can you tell us one concrete thing you've done to improve? And he's like, I can't tell you that yet, but sometimes in the next 30 days ish. That's what he told us. Yeah, so, you know, I think it's it's one of those things where if I'm a player who's been drafted or on the Sky Blue roster as of today, you're you're keeping an eye on that. And what am I going to be doing in March? Am I going to be reporting to to preseason? So Tierna Davidson didn't declare until like the night before the draft or like the, mm -hmm. the two days before. And I think most of us are speculating it's probably because she was trying to get a reassurance that, you know, she's not going to go to Sky Blue. She's going to end up at a team that's going to be helpful to her national team career. Maybe she was also worrying about allocation. I don't know. But in, in terms of the league, I think there's some speculation that, that might have been part of the, what made it drag out so long. Can you imagine being Haley Mace and being like, all right, I'm pretty much... 80 90 percent gonna go number one unless Tierna Davidson declares for the draft <laughs> and then instead of going to Chicago which is you know a playoff level team I'm going to Sky Blue the team that has elicited the most wet fart sounds from fans in 2018 yeah um I mean I'm losing sleep over that if if I'm if I'm her you know uh you you don't know what's What's going to happen? But again, um, I think we we started talking about the draft uh, under the context 
how much is our rosters going to change? How many more times are these players going to move before the season starts in April? Like Seattle didn't draft anybody. Yeah, Vlaco's, what's Vlaco doing? He's doing. He's trading. He's trading around for what he wants. I mean, he just got Shea Groom back. Right. Um, so, they're sending so Naho to saying, Sky Blue. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm just saying, like, even though there might be reassurances that you're not going to go here or there, I wouldn't trust any of it. I'm very interested by this mix of young and old that's going to be happening now at Sky Blue because Naho in her farewell letter to Seattle fans today, said that she's going to go play at Sky Blue. It was actually a really heartbreakingly sweet farewell letter where she was like, hello, our precious fans of Seattle Reign FC. I'm going to play for Sky Blue FC this season. And then she kind of closed it out with, although I'm very sad to leave my favorite club, please say hello again because we are friends forever. And I was like, damn. (laughs) That is... A lot emotionally, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of fans. Naho is very much a fan favorite. I mean, definitely mm-hmm. within Seattle, but without, I think most fans in the leagues very much respect her. And every player deserves to be treated well. But some players, when you know the club conditions aren't great, you definitely it it makes you linger more over your your feeling of how can I make a change here what can i do as a fan so what can you do as a fan if you're a sky blue fan i mean what what can fans always do money talks so mm-hmm. contacting them directly and being like hey i'm not going to buy any tickets to your team until i see concrete improvement in these areas you know or telling them you know it's it's too hard to get to your stadium i would have attended twice as many games as i did last season and there had been better transportation options or a closer venue or something like that. They got Naho. They drafted all these young kids. Even if Julia Ashley and Haley Mace don't report, they've still got one, two, three, four, five, six draft picks who probably will have a good chance of reporting and getting signed. As far as we know, they still got Savannah McCaskill. I think, yeah, I think Killian is staying. So I really do hope they'd manage to turn it around sky blue the players deserve to have that good feeling at home winning games in a way they you know that last season was so fucking rough just losing even games where you're like okay they're gonna make it happen somehow they still found a way to lose those were just so god it was a bad it was a bad year and it was it was one of those years where the wheels just fell off in every single way possible. And it's it's one of those things where Sky I, I do believe Sky Blue can bounce back. I think that it's gonna take a ton of leadership to do so. I think it's gonna take Denise Reddy leading the front office and making sure that her demands, player demands are met and forcing their hand and not uh, being a first year in the league coach, you know, she's done this already. And I think she needs to to step up and, and take on more of that, that ownership or that leadership to, to fight for the players. I think also uh, the players themselves, you know, um, Carly Lloyd. I cannot believe some of the quotes that she had toward the last uh, end of last season where she was basically like, yeah, I I kind of, I live in South Jersey. I drive in for training and I drive out. Wasn't really aware of all the rest of this. But now that I am, I'm upset about it. And it's one of those things where, you know, I want her to be more invested in this team so that she can shine a light when it's needed. And it doesn't need to be the players making league minimums raising flags, their living situations, the transportation situation, all, all of the different things. Like, it shouldn't be on them to bring this to light. There are so many layers here, and the entire system failed. I think it was telling that when you and I were discussing the mix of, like, older and younger players, I just did not mention Carly Lloyd. Like, it didn't occur to me to bring up her name. The name just mm-hmm. was not in my head in that moment. I think that's kind of telling. I mean, mm-hmm. I also have a very bad memory, so maybe that's in play <laughs> there as well. 
but I I know she's going to be gone for most of the year, if not all of it. So Sky Blue's going to have to get along without her. But yeah, at the very least, she can. We don't know what she's done behind the scenes. Maybe she has sent emails to Tony Nova, being like, "Hey, can you like tighten up the ship? Come on, dude." Um, right. I mean, she she absolutely may be advocating for the players behind the scenes, and and she might be that type of leader who's sending sending emails and not causing waves because you know for whatever reason that it, that waves in that environment uh, come back to to haunt people. But she feels absolutely disconnected. Like I feel like she is absolutely disconnected from everything that's going on sky blue and last year at this time when she got traded from houston to sky blue like everybody was kind of up in arms that oh players get get traded wherever they want to go right like and then we find out all this stuff about how houston's being run so a random thought in my head right now do you think Carly Lloyd has ever played for a good NWSL team? Like, does she know what that even looks like? Between Houston and Sky Blue, <laughs> I was trying to think for a minute, like, has she played? She must have played for, no, it's just been Houston and Sky Blue. I mean, she did the stint in Europe. Yeah, Man City. <sighs> she knows from WPS a little bit. But di- totally different league, totally yeah. different vibe, totally different feel. She's never she's never played for a team that put the women's team on a pedestal. Well, twenty ten Sky Blue FC and WPS. Do you think they were put on a pedestal? Not necessarily in twenty ten. Yeah, I don't think they were. Yeah, I guess not. That is interesting. It's I mean, just maybe to Carly, this is just the way it is in women's soccer. She's played for, I mean, the Atlanta Beat. So in two leagues now, she's played for some pretty interestingly um, offbeat teams. Yeah. I mean, so here's, I guess here's where what, what I'm thinking or here's where I'm going is... I've never seen Carly Lloyd be outspoken about anything that impacts teammates. Um, quite like, quite like I see, I mean, I saw when you see her defend Hope Solo. Because she did talk when Megan Rapino was kneeling and she was like, it's distracting. But I don't think she was defending her teammate. No, she was. <laughs> she I, was the opposite. She was she talking was about a teammate. Um, yeah. I guess my I'm wondering if my expectation of what leadership is jives with what Carly Lloyd thinks leadership is. Because I'm upset about her lack of leadership in the sky blue situation to the point where I say, fuck it. Like, why is she even wearing a captain's armband, period? I wonder if Carly Lloyd even thinks of herself as a leader. A lot of, obviously we don't know her, so we only can paste together what we get out of her social media, which is very her, much, book. you know, focused on herself. And there's nothing wrong with that in a player. You know, everyone has their own mentality. As long as it doesn't, you know, fuck up someone else on the team, it's fine. I wonder if asking for leadership from Kylie Lloyd is too much. I agree we can ask for solidarity from her. She needs to be in solidarity with her teammates. She has so much more power, money, and influence and is in a position to help younger players with less power who can easily be dismissed from the team, you know, roster turnover. I think if you're in a position to help people like that and you don't, unless you have, you know, a really good reason... You know, you need to protect yourself from something that could very seriously endanger your livelihood. It's it's wrong not to speak up for those people if you can. Well, yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you just said. Um, I would push back to say I absolutely expect leadership from Carly Lloyd, the U.S. Women's National Team captain. That's true. If she's going to wear a captain's armband, then she needs to do captain's things. And she can't wear, like, I don't know, maybe maybe this is where I'm overstepping in my expectations. 
but she can't to me being a leader means that you can never turn it off and you always need to be paying attention you always need to be advocating for those who can't advocate for themselves or need to be amplified or need support and and all those things so if she's going to be it at the women's national team level I would expect her to also be it at the club level. And so it makes me seriously concerned that when we hear of the U.S. Women's National Team going into players' union talks, who's she advocating for? Is she helping the NWSL players' union? I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's an itch I can't scratch. That is, how was Carly Lloyd so disconnected from this while being a U.S. soccer captain i think those are good questions i would love to know the answers you know what else i would love to know are you a college player who was eligible for the draft well they waived requirements that you have to be graduating senior this year right because of tierna davidson yes so you can skip college now to enter the draft so are you a college player who decided not to enter the draft because of the possibility you might go not not just to sky blue but like to any team you thought wasn't Going to any team you thought might be a subpar experience, we would love to hear from you. DMs are open. We'll guarantee your anonymity if that's Mm -hmm. what's needed. I think it's pretty certain not everyone who got drafted is going to play, but I think more people than in years previously, like if we look at percentage of players who go from the draft to actually getting more than one or two games with their team, I think this will be a higher percentage this year because of, as we mentioned, it meant... Because as we mentioned, it is a World Cup year. So everyone's mm-hmm. going to need depth on their benches, particularly now that they've expanded roster size to 22. So you can have up to, to 22 players. To 22 plus four for additional um, kind of like part-time players while your uh, national team players are called away. Yeah, those are the players that you can call it. They're the national team replacement players. So you can mm-hmm. you sign them on temporary contracts. So I think that we are going to see more rookies get playing time this year. Um, I just don't think that aside from maybe six of the nine drafted in the first round. um, Wait, how many were drafted in the first round? Was it nine? Nine. Nine. Six of the nine in the first round, I think, have the potential to be uh, consistent with their teams for, for the entire season. Uh, I, I think that there are a lot of players who are going to get called into, um, into the different camps. And we're just, we're going to see, see the numbers dwindle as, as they naturally do uh, with any other season. But then I'm sure we're going to see a significant number of players come back in the summer, summer months um, for replacing uh, the national teamers, and that's ultimately their their big opportunity. If I were an NWSL player, I would definitely be looking at this rookie class and being like, you picked the perfect time to enter the draft. Don't oh, fuck totally. this up. Like, you are going to get a chance that I never had to try and break into a consistent, maybe not starting 11, but like regularly uh, dressed for games and then, you know, subbing in regularly. Huge opportunity. Huge. Do you think that four rounds of the draft is overkill? That's an interesting question. Should it be three instead, you think? Yeah. Given previous roster sizes, maybe. Expecting that teams would pick four new players every season when you only have a roster of 20. and There's just not a lot of movement in and out. Maybe. I just, I feel like we haven't been seeing the same level of, well, I mean, I guess we have. We've seen a lot of early retirement, well, not a lot. A few early retirements happen primarily through this whole Sky Blue debacle. Um, who was the most recent player? She just retired at 24. Give me Christina Gibbons. Yes. yes. I think, you know, we, we saw a lot of those retirements hit two, three years ago. Uh, last year was not so many, um, and I I do think that there there needs to be a balance of how many open positions are there. Uh, what is the wave that we're seeing um, of new talent coming into the league versus how much are veterans staying? Here's the thing: 
Amanda Duffy said 2020 is still the target year for expansion, where we'll probably mm-hmm. see Barcelona come in, either them or maybe LAFC in 2020. So that's a whole new team, 22 spots. I think the draft needs to stay at four rounds if we get expansion in 2020. There will probably be some kind of dispersal draft, right, where mm-hmm. teams who waive players, like they then go into a draft for lafc Uh and there might be some reallocation happening but you know by the time it rolls around to 2020 the next draft we'll probably be trying to get back up to 10 teams again so even if maybe in the past couple years it should have been three rounds you know looking forward to the future it should just stay at four yeah i guess i i see stuff happen like uh seattle seattle didn't take anybody um portland only I, I see those types of statistics and just kind of wonder: Are is the draft oversaturizing, oversaturating the market? Like, if player, if teams don't need these players, what's the benefit of drafting? Like, until until NWSL starts actually having lower division teams, like until teams start having more teams underneath them. Does that make sense? More like reserve teams. Yeah. Yeah. Start having supplemental teams. I don't see a huge value in keeping the draft the way it is. Teams do that. I feel like there's spirit reserves. Did Orlando just claim something? No, not Orlando. Maybe, uh, 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 Royals just claimed something. Yeah. Doesn't Portland have any kind of associated? I, I mean, we have like a, female like a young girls club system down in california that brandy chastain runs but it's it's not like i can go and watch the next generation of portland thorns like i i guess i guess my point is is i don't think that there enough teams have those types of development programs that aren't focused on the youth program. Right. The kind of program that eventually yields a homegrown player. That exactly. Can move into the- a, a homegrown player or just is a, is a backup, is the bench. It could be like the structure of the draft itself is one of the benefits because it allows, you know, a certain window of trading between teams. Like, I don't know. Um, I think that the opportunity to expand your roster is fantastic. I just sit here and I go, there's a certain capacity that these teams have. And even with an expanded roster, like they aren't able to do much I wonder, with all of these additional drafted players. I, I wonder, because we saw that tweet from Chard Farley where he counted the actual minutes that you know new players got and they've been dwindling and then someone pointed out that there's i think it's john halloran pointed out there's combo factors like the league itself contracting if we still had 10 teams in this league or if um utah had come in but fc casey had not folded we even had 11 teams on this league we'd be having a very different conversation right now totally if if there were 11 teams in this league and we saw rosters expand to to this another level i think that i think we would also see more international players involved in the league too because i don't think that every college player who gets drafted is ready to play in the nwsl day one i think that there's still a big enough gap between ncaa and nwsl that you know again probably only six of the nine drafted in the first round are ready and not that it takes an entire season or anything like that but it might take you know half a half a season or or at least a little bit to understand uh what what is needed you know what i mean Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean the time it takes to just physically get your body up to the next level when you think about it like yeah they're already in pretty good shape but it, it was ncaa shape where there's unlimited subs and you can resub uh, they've directly told us the jump physically, not even just tactically, but physically from college to pro is incredible. Um, so 
you know, preseason doesn't get you totally physically ready. So I can imagine once the season starts, it takes maybe at least a month to get your body up to speed with, you know, whatever the trainer's satisfied with. Probably more. Uh... The last thing I think I wanted to mention that came out of USC is I did get to go to a presentation from Football Federation France. Uh, Brigitte Henrique, the vice president, and Laura Georges, the general secretary, gave a little presentation about the plans for the Women's World Cup and how it's going. The most interesting stuff to come out was the ticket info, where they said as of January 7th, they'd sold 295,000 tickets and they plan to make 1.3 million available. So it seems like they're going at a pretty good clip because a lot of those almost 300,000 tickets, you know, that's early sales stuff and they were selling them in packages and now they'll move to single tickets. Uh, the semifinals and the finals already sold out. 77,000 tickets bought by Americans. <laughs> Cocky, cocky Americans. I'm just banking cocky, on... Cocky, cocky Americans. Just banking on seeing the United States in the semis in the final. That one better not bite us in the ass. I mean, I... At one, in one way, I am. But the other way, I'm just like... I just got tickets to the semi in the final. Like, yeah, period. I don't know true. if I'm getting other tickets. Because that's where the best soccer is going to be played, you know? Yeah, Americans do love sporting events. So when they hear, you know, World Cup final... I think a lot of women's soccer fans are like, yeah, no matter who's in it, why wouldn't I want to watch that? Right. And I'm pretty sure that I got the cheapest tickets possible. They had for like $50. Yeah. They had ticket packages that were like 29 euro for a three ticket package or something to see world cup games. That's astounding. It's less than 10 euros to see a world cup game. I'm pretty sure that's what I bought because I'm like, I'm going to go and I'm just going to be there. And I don't really mind. Like, if Vancouver talks anything, I just want to be there. Like, I spent too much money in Vancouver. It was a great experience, don't get me wrong. (laughs) But looking back, like, we didn't need those stupid tickets. Granted, they were fantastic. And they were, you know, right at midfield, like, four rows up. But we didn't need them. I mean, speak for yourself. I loved our seats. I just, I hated the depth perception. Mm, I absolutely hated not being able to tell if, like, a shot was going wide or if it was on target. Interesting. So, yeah, they have cheap tickets, but it's not like they're playing in cavernous 100,000-seat stadiums because the panel, they talked about how FIFA wanted the range of seating capacity to be 20,000 to 59,000, about that range, so that, you know, every stadium looks big enough but they're not going to have to worry about selling out the biggest stadiums. Although I feel like that's kind of limiting yourself from the start being like, well, I don't want to worry about selling out a hundred thousand seat stadium. So let's just not do it. Like go for it. But well, I also, I also think this is an opportunity for FIFA to learn something. Yeah. Do it. Just do it. Put, put it in a hundred thousand person stadium. I know. It does remind me of, there was a, I think, Ad Week, maybe, report about how Fox didn't estimate their ad sales for the World Cup. So, according to the article, I don't know how accurate it was, they think that Fox made, like, over twice as much as they thought they were going to make for the Women's World Cup in terms of ad sales. Good. So It's about freaking time people start investing in women's sport. So I'm sure Fox took that to heart because they're like, oh, we could have probably made more money if we had been Mm -hmm. a little more on target with our estimate last time. So this time we are definitely going to be rounding up those sponsorships, you know, inventing shit for people to slap their names on. We've already got the Mm -hmm. Budweiser woman of the match. So I don't know. Are we going to get the Tide Pod shot of the match? (laughs) <laughs> we'll see <laughs> no if there's a I, Tide Pod thing it should be related to like eating <laughs> if there's a Tide Pod thing it should be related to like the worst slide tackle or the best slide tackle the Tide Pod snack of the match snack? yeah because of the Tide challenge no the tide no pod. <laughs> no no. <laughs> they stopped having to lock up the Tide Pods, I think, in the store now. I think we got past the the thing where I know, and, and so I think it's it's too it's too soon to make that joke. 
Okay. Or it's too late. It's too it's, late. The meme is dead. It's too late. It, the meme is dead. Yes. Yeah. If I know about the meme, it's dead. So another year, another NWSL draft. I'm really rooting for all these kids. I hope... I just want everyone to have a good time. You know? You always do. You always do. You know, it's the culmination of their pro careers, and I just want them all to achieve their dreams. Every single one was like ever since I was a kid. And then when you think about it, so the league's only been around for seven years, but these kids are about 21, 22, right? So 10, 15 years ago when they were actually kids, NWSL didn't exist. Also, they probably would have seen WPS die. So there was probably a period in there where they were like, there's no more pro league in this country. How am I going to become a pro besides going well, overseas? 15 years ago, they were watching USA die. Yeah. Like, let alone WPS. And then, yeah, eight, nine years ago would have been WPS when they were exactly. around junior high. Old enough to have... Uh, more concrete emotions about it. Probably some diary entries from some of them, like today. <laughs> today was the death of a dream. I'm sure some of them have melodramatic, like junior high diary entries. I certainly did. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of them probably switched over to basketball or softball or something like that. You know. Mm-hmm. But the ones who and stuck just with had it, different different sports dreams. Yeah. I mean, I asked them a lot of them, like. You know, you probably saw women's soccer come and go in this in the United States. How did you keep the faith, believing that one day there would be a place for you? And a lot of them just said, "It was my dream, so I couldn't let go of it. Like I couldn't give up on it." That I don't know if I've ever wanted to do anything so badly that I had faith that something like that would happen. I don't know. Maybe they have a more I mean, clear-eyed view of women's sports in this country than I do. Well, I'm also looking at you, uh, women's sports journalist. And saying, yeah, you exactly have those dreams. I guess the fact that I didn't just go into hibernation forever when Boston broke up. <laughs> you came out of that. I actually came out of that okay because I shut down 99% of my emotions related to it. And I still haven't let them out. So <laughs> hopefully they'll just stay in a little ball in my stomach until I die. We can, we can let them out when NWSL celebrates 10 years. Okay. All and right. the breakers are back. Okay. Yeah, so uh, this will be the seventh season, 2019, meaning 10th season, 2022? Yep. All right. So assuming I'm still alive in 2022, we'll revisit this conversation. I absolutely am going to bookmark this podcast, <laughs> and we'll play it in three years. Put it in your Google, Google calendar for 2022. I am putting it in my Google calendar. Happy New Year to all our listeners. Thanks for sticking with us through another long hiatus. There's more to talk about now. National teams revving up. Preseason's going to start heating up. Hopefully there will be a lot of, you know, juicy details for us to go over in future episodes. Until then, you know, drink water, stay warm, moisturize. Juicy. Juicy.